Chapter 14 To my left, across a sloping lawn, I saw a tall man move quickly behind some trees. Security seemed tight here. Most wealthy Ladinos did keep up their guard. I headed along the formal pathway between the two main buildings, and looking back to my right, I could see the full vista of the estate down below. I came to a small meadow, probably landscaped over a hundred years ago. A fast-running brook ran right through the sloping grass. Up ahead, higher on the hill, was a new white plaster building rising in three tiers up the steep slope. The lower two sections of the building were compact and built into the hillside with minimal windows. The highest up unit was a peculiar round room, about forty feet in diameter and equally high, perhaps a private observatory, perched right on top of the ridge. The view of the lake from up there would be spectacular. I spotted another guy in slacks and white shirt, standing in shadow across the stream, watching me. Then there was Ursula, walking fast up the path from down below. I remembered what she looked like with no clothes on, and then got hit with a vivid full-body remembrance of Mahi, naked in my van. Without saying anything, Ursula came close and put her arms around me with a touch of raw, childish need. Ah, Jacques, she whispered softly in her Nordic accent, what a relief having you here. Bernardo is, well, tense. How long have you lived in this place? I asked her. She pushed back and looked up at me. It's been almost three years since he bought me. I was offered a large sum of money and also a percentage of the new business venture, plus a research budget all my own that was ten times, even at the beginning, the budget I was seeking. So then, Bernardo has given permission for you to view Layer 1. Most of my team has just departed for the airport. She led me to a metal door set into the wall of the first level of the new building. She pushed in a code, said her name in a neutral voice, and the door slid into the adobe wall with a short hiss. Inside was a large, brightly lit office with three people, two women and a man at their respective desks, all three wearing white coats. Ursula spoke to them quickly in what I assumed was her Nordic tongue. We went on through a door into another large room where several people were busy at laptops and computers. To my left, I saw three bulky fMRI machines like you'd find in a hospital, squatting side by side with thin partitions between them. So, yes, Ursula was saying, we've done immense work with those units. You would not imagine what can be accomplished with no government tying your research hands behind your back. We ran countless tests, trying vast arrays of sequential harmonics. As we deciphered the specific electromagnetic stimuli, that elicit a particular emotional response. But, I objected, what subjects did you use? Ah, Jacques, please, she said, put your moralistic judgments aside, will you? We recorded zero fatalities, 
and the subjects came voluntarily for considerable sums of money, mostly from remote towns north of Chichicastenango. I myself believe, along with Bernardo, that sometimes a few must suffer a small amount for the well-being of all. Some day, perhaps, history will praise all of this. For now, of necessity, we remain entirely secret. I stood staring at the machines, wondering what my dad would think about all this. My mind was full of ethical reactions, but my tongue stayed mute, wanting to learn more. She was now showing me on a monitor screen some complex fMRI test results, documenting how some poor guy's brain had lit up suddenly when receiving a particular vibrational stimulus. And yeah, I was vastly impressed, but at the same time, feeling internally upset. She stopped the video on an image showing a brain clearly being stimulated. With the early fMRI scans, we located several exact microregions of the brain, she explained, which work together to generate a particular verbal expression. Through trial and error and occasional flashes of godsend insight, we discovered we could electronically duplicate, amplify, and redirect that particular neuroelectric sequence. Even before I arrived here, they had developed the basic tech to insert short resonance sequences, tech that would be impossible to get funding for in normal medical channels. She opened an interior door into a large, long room with heavily tinted windows all along one side. The place was full of electronic stuff, and a solitary technician was bent over a large work table, looking through stereo eyepieces while working his hands on the controls of robot arms inside a sealed box. We have also developed a new method for implanting electrodes, Ursi told me very quietly as we watched the man at work. Bernardo now has seven permanent implants, so he can interact with the equipment at the most intimate levels. I myself have three. The young man sat upright from the equipment, and Ursula bent over to look through the parallel scopes for just a moment, then took her eyes away her expression stern. She spoke to the technician sharply in her native tongue, and he responded with equal sharpness. A professional argument exploded between them, but she had the last word. He glowered, then shrugged his shoulders, and went back to work. Ursi led me to a far door, opened it with her voice, and glanced uncertainly at a stairway leading higher into the research complex. Then she led me upward. At the top of the stairs was another door with voice activation. We walked inside and the door closed solidly with a smooth clicking lock behind us. So if you get a cold and lose your voice, I asked, then you can't get in? The guard outside, she told me. He always has an override key. We were in a large rectangular room, maybe twenty by thirty-five feet, with comfortable carpeting and a sofa over in one corner. An entire wall was lined from floor to ceiling with computers and other electronic equipment, 
far beyond my comprehension. I walked over to a foot-high platform in the center of the room that was drawing my attention. It was circular and about three feet across, made of shiny gold-colored metal. Mounted on the flat ceiling right above it was an identical circular slab of metal. Except for the broadcast dimensions upstairs, she was saying proudly, this is the inner brain of my creation. Slight damage to even one of those systems would put a halt to everything. Therefore, no one enters this room except for Bernardo without my presence, ever. She flipped a master switch that brought lights flashing across the computer wall. The ancient Hindus and Mayans were entirely correct, she said to me. The human body does possess seven distinct energetic dimensions. Do you know of these dimensions? Well, I've read along those lines. I did take peyote and saw something that looked like my girlfriend's aura, but there's no conclusive proof that chakras exist. Please, then, she said, allow me to demonstrate. It's perfectly safe. Just go stand in front of that register plate facing me, and the equipment will read the moment-to-moment -moment energetic emanations from your seven chakratic fields, and reproduce them as a real-time holograph. You'll feel just a slight tingling as your attention tunes in to each energetic center. Yeah, my curiosity got the best of me. I walked over and took my position in front of the wall-mounted brass slab as Ursula entered who-knows-what into one of the computers, then spun around on her swivel chair. Hold still with no talking, she insisted. You will see emerging in front of you a holographic presentation of your seven energy fields, moving from the gross physical field on outward to the more subtle fields that radiate several inches beyond your physical body. Now, hold still, remain silent. She touched a final key, then walked over to sit on the sofa. A moment later, I felt a tingling all over my skin surfaces, then a deep, permeating warmth, and already... Above the circular platform in the center of the room, something was beginning to appear, colors shimmering. Geez, there was a clear three-dimensional shape of my body, created as a life-size translucent hologram. I smiled, and my image instantly smiled. Wow, how was she doing that? And now an inch-thick layer of shimmering blueness was beginning to appear around my projected body, and I felt the entire surface of my skin becoming vibrant. The sounds in the room, the colors of the walls and carpeting, the computer fans, Ursula's breathing, the lights flashing on the equipment, everything seemed suddenly much more vivid. Then the feeling inside my body changed, and at the same instant, my holographic body in the center of the room was transformed into vibrant reds, greens, golds, and purples surrounding my physical shape. 
I felt suddenly overwhelmed with emotions, like crying and laughing at the same time. And then I was experiencing a massive erotic sensation down in my balls and penis. And then all those emotions quieted down and the hologram changed, expanding outward another layer into a soft yellow glow and I found myself experiencing utter mental clarity as my solar plexus on the hologram began glowing. My heart felt ready to explode with the pure feeling of love, of needing someone, of reaching out to touch. The colors intensified, and I somehow became aware of all the cells in my body working in perfect harmony to maintain my shape my presence, my very being, and I felt a sudden upward flow of light and energy from my throat and tongue into my eyes and forehead. My holographic body began to emanate a great swirl of multicolored lights with the most powerful radiance coming from my forehead. Amazingly soothing feelings flooded through me of utter calm deep silence, and a sense of direct knowing and certainty, mixed with joy and love, radiating out in all directions. And now, around this field of light, I saw yet another layer beginning to appear, becoming more and more dominant, and this time what I saw was a pure gold oblong bubble surrounding my holographic body six feet from where I was standing. My lingering emotion of an overload of joy and just pure good old love suddenly began to resonate with less intensity inside me. Then I had the strangest feeling that my entire emotional self was just drifting away and fading and gone. I have no words for what I experienced. I just kept my eyes focused intently on my calm, dispassionate, naked body over there in the middle of the room, as an eternal moment somehow appeared, and then went on by. I can only say that at that moment, I was pure presence with no personality, no human emotion or genetic programming at all. Now, please, I heard Ursula's voice saying, I want you to think about someone you love. Her words hung in the air. Someone I love, I repeated still mostly lost beyond my feeling zones. Yes, she said, someone you love deeply. Without hesitation nor reflection, I found myself focusing intently on Mahalena. Mahi, where are you? Some lilting voice called out from my own heart, which had right then opened up gigantically and there was definitely something happening, because I felt a clear, powerful, flirting vibration, almost a ringing of bells in a belfry, 
deep inside me, and at that exact same moment a white flash emerged from the chest of my holographic body, which was still just standing there naked with feet fairly wide apart, eyes looking ahead as if seeing everything and nothing at the same time. And that flash of light went zapping off through the far wall and was gone with a crackle of pure energy. And then the strangest thing happened. While I stood there, watching my holographic presence in the middle of the room, I saw my image turn his head and look right directly over into my eyes. And as we locked into each other visually, I saw my holographic body changing slightly in shape and size, morphing into a somewhat smaller body that was standing there painted all over in blue. And right then I knew, no Calito. That was my last thought from my position standing physically over by the wall. I don't know how to describe this, but I was suddenly inside that other body. I was in the center of the room, and Ursula was totally freaking out with a horrific scream as I slowly turned my head and looked over at her. She shouted something I couldn't understand and lunged toward the equipment, wildly flipping off one switch after another. All the lights on the equipment panels went black, and my own consciousness in the center of the room went black as well, and my internal awareness again began to light up back in my own body, watching Nocolito fade and disappear. Ursula was beside me, leading me by the arm over to the sofa. I sat down, dazed as she walked away from me, stood with her face to the wall, then spun around and demanded, What was it? Who was it? How did you do that? I felt seriously shaken. Um, no idea, I muttered. She exhaled sharply. Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Nothing at all. Logic dictates a computer malfunction. Never before have I seen anything like that. The door behind us had slid open, and Ursula froze as a man walked in, in tailored slacks and shirt, but no tie. His hair was short and dark. His face had that noble, dark Mayan prominence, but his eyes were a deep blue that startled me when he shot me a cursory glance. Ah, here you are, he said to Ursula in a cold tone. Bernardo, she responded nervously. He turned his eyes toward me again and just stood there a long moment. Hello, Jack, he said. Please come upstairs. Ursula, I will talk with you later. And without a further word, he walked to a far door and disappeared up into the shadows. Ursula glanced at me, brought a finger up over her lips to indicate secrecy. She inhaled, then exhaled with a nervous sigh, and walked away through the sliding door to the research building down below.
I stood alone in the room for a moment, looking at the circular platform where my holographic presence had so recently manifested. I had no way of thinking rationally about what had just happened. Summoning all my risk-taking nerve, I turned and followed Bernardo through the doorway and up the stairs.